Welcome to Double Down with Garrett and Mac. That's Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack. They're two women with voices that just happen to have sons in the NFL. That means you'll hear about football and motherhood, but you'll never know what you're going to hear next. So let's get this conversation started. Here are your hosts, Garrett and Mac. Welcome to another edition of Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Before we get started, I just want to say... I'm going to bust Audrey in her throat today. <laughs> oh, not in my throat. At least you're not busting my head to the white meat. Okay. Okay. See, um, Dracy, man, because I've learned some new things on um, on uh, you, Zoom. You, yeah, you know how. And I'm playing with them. You, you know how when a kid learns something, they, they aggravate other kids because the other kids want to learn how to play with it, too. But they don't get to play with it because the one ch- one uh, the one kid who know how to do it won't let the other kids do it. It's like the one kid who got the race car remote. Uh, they keep playing with the race car, and you like, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it, let me do it. She won't let me control the the Zoom, y'all. She keep just flicking back and forth, and I want to do it. I want to do it. She can't do it. I can't. I can't. I can't give her no control. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> She's just being mean to me, being mean to me today. So you went on mute, Audrey. See, yeah, I know. Playing. You just, no, no, no. You just mad I got a red beret on. And really the reason why I'm sticking you on mute is because of all the things that happened. My fax never rings and it literally rung as we started the show. And I can hear her talking in the background. Oh my, yeah. And she do have a red beret on. I guess she, uh. Uh, if she'd had a raspberry one on, she might could have been Prince today. Oh, don't let me I'm find one. Saying. Don't, don't let me find saying. one. <laughs> you know, we, I'm just saying. Okay, so just for our listening audience, we're not going to be completely silly today. Uh, we actually have a very serious um, conversation we want to talk about, which is immigration, whether we want to call it illegal or undocumented. You know, we, we started a conversation. I should say, Jeracy, you started a conversation with the attorney, uh, Jose Sanchez. He is actually one of the sponsors for our show and I wasn't available. So I wanted to make sure that attorney Sanchez came back and I got a chance to talk to him along with you. Um, it is a very interesting topic as we go forth in with the Biden administration after dealing with um, 45 for the last four years and how this changes um, as this changes um, the outlook on immigration and what that means. So let's bring in attorney Jose Sanchez and let's get started on this. We have a lot of ground to cover and want to use all our time for that. We can giggle another day and I've taken my red beret off. Hello, attorney Sanchez. I guess he doesn't have his audio on it. Can I hear us? <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Oh, there you go. There you go. Hello, Attorney Sanchez. How are you today? Great, great. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show again. Uh, apologize that you couldn't be with us last time. You missed out a great I show. So. I heard, I heard. I went back and listened to it. Okay. So and <laughs> it's continue. one Yeah, it's one of those topics that you just can't cut short and you can't do it in in just one segment or even two. But we're going to try to cover a lot of ground. Um just just for the listeners who may not have heard the first show, can you give us a little bit of your background before we get started? Yes. Uh so first of all, I'm Jose Sanchez. I'm an attorney in in Longview, Texas, in Texas. Been a lawyer 20 years. <clears throat> I'm an immigrant from Mexico. I came here when I was 5. <clears throat> 
<clears throat> undocumented, um, swam across the river, just like a lot of immigrant stories, and um, grew up here in, in Longview, and a very poor uh, family. My parents didn't, weren't educated, and obviously they came here like, any, like many, many immigrants for the opportunity for their children to get an education and to have a better life than we did in Mexico. <clears throat> Given that, luckily I was raised in a nice school district that was small, allowed me to uh, not have as many uh, interferences or uh, way distractions, you can say, to concentrate on education. I went on to Texas A&M University and got a degree in, in my bachelor's in business administration. Giggum. <laughs> and then went on to uh, Texas Tech Law School. You know, my dream was always to work for Nike in sports marketing. But at A&M, I was able to represent all the Latino students, and that kind of gave me an idea to go to law school and represent uh, Latinos and people in general. And so I went to Texas Tech Law School. And then in 2001, I graduated. I had opportunities to go to Dallas, Houston, all the big cities. But there was no Latino lawyers in East Texas. And so I felt a duty to go back and help uh, the immigrants in East Texas. And that's what I did. I came back to Longview, worked for other law firms. And in 2005, I opened up my own law firm. And then from there, I learned how to do immigration on my own. I pretty much a lot of stuff I learned on my own and with the help of other lawyers and supporters, I was able to learn that in other cases. I was fortunate to get lucky on several personal injury cases early on to make some some good money uh, and was able to uh, grow my business, grow my law firm. Uh, I led a lot of immigration marches, protesting all the in the in those time periods, 2006, when there was a possibility of immigration reform. And then 2001, I took, I'm sorry, 2012, I took two years off and went off to Harvard and got my bachelor, I mean, got my master's degree in public administration. So I was able to be there for two years as a full-time student, expand my horizons, get educated more from the uh, public administration and government uh, point of view and uh, came back to Longview and have been doing that ever since. I probably have, I have a growing practice. We do a lot of personal injury, criminal immigration, and I uh, have a great staff that keeps us busy all the time. And obviously a community activist, protester, uh, always on the radio shows, TV shows, giving my thoughts and opinions on immigration and other legal matters. And a big supporter of the Texas A&M Aggies football team, a great supporter of all the, uh, Tracy and I know nothing about Texas a <laughs> Nothing. Absolutely yeah. nothing. You know, and I was able to, uh, I'm a big Cowboy fan, so that's my NFL team. But I know nothing about that either. <laughs> uh, go Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? Now, I'm a Cowboy yeah. fan, so I'm going to go there with you. You know what, Jose? You know, a lot of what you, li- you listed in your, your brief bio was your educational pursuits. And you came here back in the day when you came, you were considered an illegal alien. That was the term that was used. How were you able to get, did you receive citizenship before high school? How were you able to go from a five-year-old undocumented or illegal alien to the educational, availing yourself to the educational school system? Because right now you hear so much about um, young people who have gone through the educational system, get to high school, get to graduation and are unable to go any further. So how did you transport yourself from one entity to another one to avail yourself to the opportunities? Yeah, that's a great question. So back, we came in the summer of 1981 and when Ronald Reagan was president, 
there was a lot of immigration. Uh, a lot of immigration was starting to, uh, to go through Congress and Reagan wanted to pass an immigration reform. And they did in 86, in which they stated that if you came here before January of 82, you got your green card, basically. It's like an amnesty. And when they did that, uh, we came in the summer, so we we were able to show proof through schools that I was here and we got our temporary green card when I was 15 years of age. So up to the age of 15, I wasn't, you can say, documented. And then after we did that, uh, we got our green card. I was able to go back to Mexico and visit my family. They hadn't seen in over 10 years. And then in 2002 or so, I became a citizen. Wait a minute, but hey, but Jose, so how did you enroll in school as an undocumented immigrant what what rules are there in place because i mean i'm i'm asking this for the listening audience i actually know but what rules were there in place because some of them are still in place that you could come here as an undocumented person and avail yourself to the school system so tell us about the rules that surround that for young people yeah so what happened is uh, around the time period i came from mexico there was a, a lawsuit i'm sorry in texas there was this this uh, politician saying these immigrants are coming from Mexico. They're taking their jobs. They're, we're having to spend our tax dollars to educate them, which should charge them a fee to go to public schools if they're not legal. And it was an actual law that passed the state legislature. Hmm. And when it did in those late 70s, there was lawsuits filed, obviously, by the pro-immigrant and pro-humane groups and in fact, it's interesting, us, me being in East Texas, is the lawsuit was in Tyler, the first lawsuit, wow. that it was a superintendent who uh, was going to start charging a fee for these uh, immigrants, kids that weren't born here, to go to public schools. And so there was a lawsuit filed. It went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And in the summer of 81, um, they came out that said that uh, in a 5-4 decision, 5-4, to four, so very, very that was close. Yeah, very close. It's called the Plyer versus Doe uh, decision in which it, they stated that under the 14th Amendment, every person has a right to due process and indirectly to an education. So they use the term person under the Constitution. So the constitutional law states that person can mean anybody. It has nothing to do with legal status, citizenship or anything. So because of that case, uh, it's being used uh, for many, many immigrant rights cases in the future that we've seen ever since then. So because of that, the school districts can't, they can ask for a social security number, but if you don't have one, they can't deny you admission and they obviously can't charge you uh, to go to a public school. So because of that, I had no issue with going to school, uh, college. Um, by that time, I had a green card. So I got scholarships because of my academic. Uh, I had a full ride at Daniel academically. So is that uh, what is necessary? I'm sorry. So is that what's necessary? You know, every year you hear of some gifted, you know, young student um, that's coming out and they're not legal. And they're like, I can't go to. Co-. In fact, uh, for example, one of Miles's best friends, um, all th- they met in kindergarten. And he was brought here similar to you at three years old. His two siblings are American born. So, of course, they can avail themselves to their citizens. He could not find the money or the resources to continue his education. Incredibly intelligent young man. 
academically well gifted, top 10%, but he was unable to go to that next level. Is it just the green card that gives you that next opportunity? And why is this such a secret that nobody is telling these young people as they go through the process, you know, because now they're called dreamers. Why is that not given? Why why is the information a predominant to make sure and ensure that these people, young people have the ability to move forward and make sure they have productive lives such as you. Right. So, well, first, um, you don't, what happens is when you go to university, there are certain scholarships. So, so federal grants, federal loans, you have to be a citizen or a resident. So you have to be legal. So they don't have access to those grants and funding. Now, what's happened because of this situation these universities are private organizations, I mean, private universities. They have private money that's been donated by alumni. And so they can use those private scholarships or grants to give to individuals without regarding legal status. So that's been creating uh, a lot of universities have done that. Uh, the other ones are in-state grants. In California, they, the state, through private donations, created these funds to give to individual Californians who aren't legal to go to college or to help them pay for their schooling. So that's kind of, so you can't, you can go to school. It doesn't matter if you're legal or not. The question is the money. How are you going to get the funding? Where do those resources right, come from? Right, Obviously right, right. Somebody, that, somebody that's not legal and their parents are, have a lot of money because they've done their own business and they have all this money, they can go and pay for it because it's not an issue. So it's more the funding. It's not really the legal status. It's the funding and having access to the funding from the federal government like everybody else does. So, so I think that's what's happened. Go ahead, please. Okay, so, so in, uh, I don't want to cut you off. I saw you trying to sip some water, so uh, go ahead. What, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Tracy. Well, I, I was going to ask a question because, um, and I just want to go back to the younger days, the elementary days, because I had I had a kid that I know that in order for them to get into the school system, they were required to take eight shots. Is is there an issue with immunization as far as that's concerned um, when they're not legal residents or whatever here? Do, do you run into is what is the what is the criteria and what is the aspect behind the fact? Because, of course, you have to show your kids shot records. And I understand that not having a Social Security card and you might not have the birth certificate that's required. But one of the main things, even to get into college, you have to show uh, proof of your shot record. So I want you to marinate on that a little bit. Uh, because that that might be a question that might take you a few minutes to answer. And while you do that, we're going to go ahead and go into our first break. And when we come back, we're going to have Attorney Sanchez tell us about the immunization process of going into the school system. So stay tuned for more Double Down with Garrett and Matt. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hello, I am Jose Sanchez with Jose Sanchez Law Firm. As an aggressive Harvard-educated lawyer for almost 20 years, I have fought for the rights, freedoms, and voices for the people all around the world. Whether it's winning millions of dollars for the injured people or getting not guilty verdicts in the courtroom, I am a success. During the times of hardship, You need an advocate that will fight for your rights 
and is not scared of the courtroom. Visit my website at attorneysanchez.com and let me be your voice. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Listening to Double Down with Garrett and Mac. If you want to make your voice heard, call us during the live show at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Garrett and Mac at gmail.com. Now back to Double Down. And welcome back to Double Down with Garrett and Mac. I'm Jeracy Garrett. Um, <laughs> Mac. Audrey. <laughs> Audrey Garrett is listening. And all I sent is, y'all notice each week I'm either called country with a K uh, or something. So this week I'm a little Spanish. Hola Sanchez is here with us today. And so, Jose, again, I know that that's, that's a concern. And that's one of the things that I've heard from parents um, that can make a ruckus in the school system, can try to cause problems or situations in the school system. And it's a rightfully so question about the immunization. That's that's a big deal, uh, even with the COVID right now. Do you get the shot? Do you not get the shot? Do you get immunized? But how does that work? Because some kids have to get seven or eight shots before they are allowed to start school. And they're citizens. So how are non-citizens allowed to come in? and not require the same shot and immunization policies, not have to adhere to them? So, um, good question. So, basically, when you come here as, as a child and you want to register in the school district, there's state requirements of how many shots you have to have. So, a lot of them are going to have the basic shots. They have universal ones in Mexico or their country where they come from. So they're going to have their, what they're called, their cartas or their card that has proof of what shots they've had in their country. Okay. Now, and, and then what the doctor here is going to not give them again because they have proof and they kind of make it part of the record of the new school of their shot records. Mm-hmm. Now, the issue is the ones that for what they didn't bring their shot records, they don't have proof of it. Then the doctor is going to give them probably again because they want to make sure that they are. Uh, have uh, have those shots. So that's why it could be that they could get shots again that they might have already had in their country because there was no proof of it. So the school district is not going to take a risk 
and go ahead and give it to them again. And that's happened numerous times. Even when I get clients that marry a U.S. citizen and they have to go back to Mexico to get their green card, they have to go to a medical exam again. And again, they have to show that they've had all these shots that are required by the government. And if they don't, they get them done again. So that's um, so it's not really an issue, I don't think, because uh, they're going to get vaccinated when they're uh, when they come here, they're young or when they get it in their country. So I don't think that's really an issue uh, in this. And they they are allowed to go through the health department uh, and get them done for free. Is that correct? Yes. Like here in Gregg County, I remember when I was young, that's where we went. You know, you had no money. That's you had no insurance. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I had that issue here in Gregg County years ago where the county was going to start requiring a social security number to get these shots. And I had a protest and everything, and eventually they didn't because it was not a health, uh, it, was, it didn't make health sense. Why, even if it shouldn't have a matter, you, you're looking about the health for the whole community. And, you know, they got mad at me, the, <laughs> the doctor did, but at the end, it just made more sense. You're, you're scaring these people away and it's not good for the community because your kids can get sick if these people are sick, you know? And so uh, they didn't. But one that. of the, but yeah, but one of the things. No, but one of the things that concerned me when, because no healthcare is free, healthcare is paid for by the taxpaying citizens. So, how do you justify the free healthcare for non-taxpaying residents? Okay. Well, first, <clears throat> there is no such thing as free. That's what I said. Yes, correct. That doesn't exist. Correct. Because if it was free and it was healthcare, they could go to any doctor they want. They could get checkups. They could get um, treatment, and they can't. So these health insurance companies will not give you healthcare if you're not legal. If you don't have social security number. Correct. So that's rare. So they don't get it now. One thing that people always say is these immigrants are um, getting free health care. Well, they're not. They're getting emergency health care, which under the uh, federal statutes, everybody's entitled to emergency health care. They have to treat you for an emergency. But if there's any follow ups because of that emergency, uh, there is no uh, requirement that they have to treat you. Well, technically. Technically, having a baby is an emergency if you come over. So if you come over here and you're pregnant and you, of course, need to deliver, that becomes an emergency. Right. Yes. Who's on the hook for paying for that? Right. And that's, uh, you know, we studied that in my healthcare class in at Harvard. And that was one of the things we talked about. And that's a federal it's kind of like a federal statute that states um, it makes more policy sense to make sure that, that this mother is properly taken care of and her child during these eight or nine months and they don't have government money to provide for them for those short time period. It's going to save any money that we might need after because they don't take care of themselves. And so that's how the government justifies that without requiring them to be legal. So it's kind of like they're t- making sure the baby is fine, comes out fine and there's no medical conditions because it does, it makes more sense to pay, let's just say $5,000 uh, for these eight months to make sure this baby is correct, then that you don't provide those services and the mother gets sick or the baby gets sick. Now you're spending $25,000 for surgeries because they didn't do it properly. So it just doesn't make policy sense. So that's why they have that statute to allow these, um, these programs 
for baby for mothers to have. Well, kids. well, maybe having babies was was a, was a poor idea. Okay, so say <laughs> you need maybe you need an appendectomy. Maybe you know whatever your emergency is. Um, I have I have you're one. a man. Okay, go ahead, Jerusa. If, if I can use it, I, I have one. I have, and Jose, this will probably jog your memory a little bit as as well. There was a young lady. Um, she was not documented or anything, but her kidneys were failing. It was an emergency situation that her kidneys were failing, but they helped her at the time and they stopped all recourse until she had to go on dialysis was then at that point, it was now considered an emergency. But if they would have helped her in between, she would have never had to go on the dialysis. Are you understanding? Wow. So yeah. so that's that's an example of you have a person who was going into renal failure, kidney failure, and she goes to the hospital. They do what they can. Once the emergency is eliminated, and this is where the intolerable in the healthcare industry comes into place. Once the emergency is eliminated, the hospital can release you. Everything else is considered a follow-up because what people fail to realize is emergency room is just for that emergency. If they don't consider it emergency or they have alleviate what is considered the emergency, they can they are they have no obligations to hold you there or to do any further recourse for you. And so in this situation, this lady actually went into uh, renal failure. She had to start having dialysis. She had her legs amputated. But if she would have had the care in between that she couldn't get because she wasn't a citizen, I think it would have, I personally think it would have prevented that. I'm not a medical expert, but that I think that that's an example of what Jose, that you're that instead of using the one for the pregnancy, that might be. Well, I, I think the key, the key part that you said, Jeracy, is the word emergency. What is defined as emergency? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what they use in the medical field. And now sometimes you hear these uh, fibs about, um, you know, mothers getting these benefits. Well, it's they're getting it because of the U.S. citizen child that they have. Oh, now that's a whole nother topic I want to get into. Yeah, it's not the mothers themselves, right? It's the kids that are getting that benefit. Now, indirectly, obviously, if they get food stamps or get food because of the child, obviously the parents are going to eat some too. So indirectly, they're getting some benefit. But if they didn't have the children, you can't, if you're a single, if you're a single woman or single man and you're not legal, you cannot apply for food stamps, period. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna flip over because you mentioned you mentioned a topic that is near and dear to my heart because this is this is one of those my my peeved soapbox and it's it it may and let me apologize in advance if it offends you. I am definitely one of those people who believe that membership should have its privileges <coughs> and you should not be able to come over here and have a baby. I don't care what country you're from, Mexico, Canada. I don't care if you're visiting from Germany, Japan. I don't care where you come from. We are one of three, I think, countries in the world that allow citizenship by birth. And I think that's something that needs to stop. I think you if you don't have legal citizenship through your parents, you should get a certificate of birth versus or acknowledgement of birth or whatever. And you become a citizen of whatever country your parents are from. And that doesn't have anything to do with you being Hispanic. Like I said, it could come from any country. I just don't think that it is. Uh, 
And I know how America was founded. I know the premise of the Yeah, 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 yeah. I got that part. But yeah, dropping babies. I know that became a big thing in the 80s. Um, anchor babies, I think they're called. Um, I, I really have a hard time with having babies. They become citizens. My brother was born in France and he had dual citizenship. And I remember when he turned 16, the legionnaires sent him a letter that said, you need to come on over here and serve your time. And he had to give up his, <laughs> yeah. And he had to give up his, his dual citizenship. And I mean, there really has to be a point where membership should have its privileges. And there's a process to go through to become a member. And that's where we circle back around to what is effectual to, I mean, because I understand escaping poverty and war and all that other stuff. But you, 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 it's only so much that can weigh a system down. There's only so much until the system can't can't take anymore. You know, so. Well, what I, are, I, I think I think you have valid points and that's a valid, valid argument and valid debate issue. Uh, and I'm more of a practical person. So, yeah, I mean, you're looking at the 14th Amendment. Uh, which states that once you're born physically here, you're a citizen. Mm -hmm. So to undo the constitutional amendment, you understand what that requires, mm -hmm. the Congress, president, and then the state's ratifications and other stuff. So it's very, very, you know, pretty much impossible to get that changed. Uh, but, uh, you know, and the other thing I always talk when there's issues like this that come up is, you know, we are the United States of America. We're different from other countries. And sometimes we try and justify certain actions that we think or do because, well, other countries do it. So we should do it, too. And I think that's when we have to stand up above and say, no, we're not like that. That's what makes us. And so I think that sometimes, you know, people uh, forget about that. And then the other thing you got to look at is, you know, um, the it's such a small percentage of those situations. Uh, kind of like when they say, well, they're taking their jobs away, which can be another issue I'm sure you have your thoughts on. They're taking our jobs away. When you look at the numbers themselves, it's only like 3% of the workforce in the whole United States is not documented. So how can 3% of the whole workforce be taken away the jobs of the other 97%. They can't. It doesn't make mathematical let, sense. Let, let, me, let me interject here because I, I, I'm i a person who doesn't believe they're taking away jobs. I mean, because quite frankly, if a person who wanted to work, wanted to go apply for those jobs, you go to the same way and stand in the same corner, wherever it is that they're getting the jobs. I mean, you need to show up in the morning time too. So if you wanted a job, there are jobs out here to have. So no, I'm, I don't feel sorry for anybody to my dad. I mean, Hispanics are coming over and taking jobs. Yeah. Well, take your ass out there and, and stand on the court. Do what they doing. I, no, I, mm -mm. nope. Okay. I can't. Some, some people believe that there are jobs that are beneath them. And you know, when nine 11 hit and the economy went down, you had PhDs who were working in, you know, the ice cream store and who were bagging groceries because I had to feed my family. There should be nothing beneath you to make sure that your family is taken care of. So if, if you can't be a garbage man, you didn't want to work. Whatever it is. It, it, so, nope, you ain't going to get that fight from me. I'll be over there protesting with you if you want a job, find a job. No. Mm -hmm. So let me let me skip to this. I'm sorry, Drace. Let me let me. Do you ever see any parallel? And why come our two communities don't join together more between Black Lives Matter and um, 
Latinos' lives matter. Brown and black lives are interchangeable. I was about to ask that. I was you know, why come that. we don't gather? Uh, you know, I always heard there was this history. I'm from Virginia, so I don't have a history with Texas. I always heard that there was some kind of angst between black people and brown people. Why come we don't work together to push forward agendas? That's, and, and, and when she says that, Jose, I look at it like this. Growing up in Texas, which I know y'all can't tell from my accent that I'm from Texas at all. But being a Texan, one of the things that, we, that has always been said amongst my community, I should say, and is that Hispanics and black are the same. There's no difference. You, you are considered, if you're Hispanic or if you're dark skinned, you're considered black. We're brothers and sisters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, we've had discussion, I've had it numerous times at A&M, at Harvard, at law school. Uh, you know, I, I think it's the more generational, the new immigrants, first generation immigrants from Mexico or South America or wherever, is going to be different than third or four generations that have been here for a long time as to the relationship with African-Americans. The reason being is you got to remember in, in Mexico and a lot of these other countries, there is, they've never seen an African-American person in those countries. So when they come here, the only thing they know about African-Americans is what they hear on TV, what they hear oh, on no, the news. Oh, no, they're trying to act they, they, What they hear. So, and you know how American media is towards the uh-huh. African community. That's what they know, you know, and I've had this discussion with some of my uh, clients that I've been trying to help that, you know, you know, even with my own family, when my sister, we were in high school, I remember, and I played baseball, junior high, and one of the guys on my team was African-American, and she ended up liking this kid and started talking to him at a junior high, you know, when they're little, and just the, the, the response that I got from my mom, from my dad was not probably most positive. Uh, because to me, and it goes back to just, they don't know anybody. They just hear what they hear. It's an ignorance point. And so once they got to see him and he came over and everything, they became totally different. And so I think we're the similar and a lot in that we're obviously um, not in control like the white person. We, we low income overall. Uh, uh, we, and we haven't had access like other people. So I think we're in the same boat in that situation. Uh, I think in generally, sometimes the Hispanics were are scared uh, because we're not as vocal and uh, towards whatever the, you know, and we had that issue come up. Um, I recall when they had the, um, um, that girl they got, she couldn't find her in the Port Hood, the Latina from Houston, I forget her mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. Vanessa, Vanessa something. And, they were like, well, why aren't y'all protesting? Why aren't y'all doing this? Why aren't you doing that? If, African, if it was a black person, they would have been already marching on the streets, you know? And so. But, but it, it took us a long time to get out there and march on the streets exactly. for missing people. I mean, you guys are, are in your infancy. Um, a lot of, I know a lot of conversations I have uh, with my contemporaries in my culture, we talk about where Hispanics are. I don't want to say use the word riding the coattails. They are benefiting from the battles that blacks fight and that they don't have to fight because as we move the needle, if the needle is even moving, you know, 
you get to come along without having to to draw arms yourself. And that was where my question really circled to is why come we don't join forces together to effect and implement change? Right. And I think we are. I think if you look in the history over time, it's gotten so much better. Mm-hmm. And I think with this immigration uh, rights movement that's been the last couple of years, we've seen an increase of African-Americans involved in that movement. I think they've looked at it more as a human rights issue, uh, as, to, as just regular civil rights in general issue. So I think we're having more of those. And I think one of the difference, too, is if you're looking at immigrants that aren't here legally, they want to stay to their house. They don't want to create conflict. So they don't want to be out. They're not going to contest their employer because they didn't pay them, you know, because they're going to get deported or they're going to call immigration or they're going or they're going to be scared compared to an African-American that's a citizen. You know, they're not scared about getting deported. You know, they're not scared about this stuff. So they're going to obviously have more uh, strong, more power, I guess you can say self-power to want to do something about it. And that's what because I have tons of cases, Audrey, that. Uh, the boss has mistreated the employees and I tell them, here's what we can do. We can file a lawsuit. We can do this. We can do that. And drop. No, we don't want to do anything. Wow. It's okay. You know, okay, whereas if I get the African-American client, they're like, hell yeah, we're going to yeah. lawsuit. Yeah. Let me go. Let me call, you know, my friends and stuff like that. So yeah, my fellow coworkers. Okay. <laughs> exactly. We're pushing, we're pushing up on the break. Jose, uh, I'm stop calling you Jose, you know, just cause I know you personally, attorney Sanchez, when we come back from the break, we'll have more on immigration, um, access and just just more talk on this is such an interesting and such an intricate topic so join us back with double down with garrett and mac become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america hello i am jose sanchez with jose sanchez law firm As an aggressive Harvard-educated lawyer for almost 20 years, I have fought for the rights, freedoms, and voices for the people all around the world. Whether it's winning millions of dollars for the injured people or getting not guilty verdicts in the courtroom, I am a success. During the times of hardship, you need an advocate that will fight for your rights and is not scared of the courtroom. Visit my website at attorneysanchez.com and let me be your voice. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
listening to Double Down with Garrett and Mac. If you want to make your voice heard, call us during the live show at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to Mac at gmail.com. Now, back to Double Down. Welcome back uh, to our listening audience. You are with Jeracy Mack and Audrey Garrett. And we have been having a wonderful discussion with Attorney Jose Sanchez. He's located here in the DFW area, specifically in Longview, Texas. And he's an immigration attorney. He has really been giving us some insight on some of the the things that happen with... um, Illegal immigration. What is the new term for it? What is the new term for it? And then kind of talk to us about what it takes really to become legal at this point. Right. So, you know, the word illegal uh, alien, I guess you can say um, alien is a word that's used in the immigration immigration code. It's rude. It's rude. It's very rude. Yeah. In fact, there's a a a bill proposed in Congress to do away with the word alien uh, in anything in anything regarding the federal law or rules or words or anything like that. But uh, the proper word now that's kind of been used is undocumented. You know, that's kind of been the word that's been used. So I want to talk just a little just a I mean there's classes of just this issue of how do you become legal. There's several different ways to do it. There's classes just on the different ways of doing it. But in generally, um, there's two avenues. There's what's called employment immigration and there's called family immigration. Employment immigration is more uh, for, for professionals to come here from other countries to provide services for American companies. So those are your engineers, <clears throat> your doctors, your nurses, anybody pretty much with a, a degree or higher education. Then, uh, so if you're here without permission and you don't have one of those uh, professional degrees, then you can't get a green card through your employer, through employment. So there's no avenue through employment. So then you go to the family immigration is what I do. So family immigration is where you have a family relative that can petition for you to get your green card, your resident card, and then one day become a citizen. So in the family part, there's only what's called, uh, they call them family-based preferences. So under Congress that creates the code, so Congress creates immigration law. The president doesn't create the immigration law. Uh, they're the executive branch, so they interpret, obviously, the, the immigration law. So under the code, it states that only people that have certain preferences can have somebody apply for them. And those are, um, you have what's called immediate relatives, which is your um, parents, uh, your children under 21 who aren't married, uh, and those are pretty much it, and your husband and wife. So those are it. Then they have what's called the pre- the first preference. The first preference are children over 21 that are unmarried of U.S. citizens. Then you have what's called two, uh, 2A and 2B. 2A are the parents uh, are the spouses of permanent residents that already have a green card, and children under 21 that are single. And then the 2B are children over 21 that are residents. Your third preference are the kids that are married of, of parents of U.S. citizens. And your last one is your brothers and sisters of U.S. citizens. So those are the only preferences in which you have an avenue through the family way to get a green card. So on there, you don't see grandparents applying for grandkids 
or grandkids applying for grandparents or uncle to the nephew or nephew to the uncle. That doesn't exist. And so if you don't have one of those family relatives, you're you're screwed out of the family way to get a green card. Wait a minute, Jose. So, so let, even if you're, wait a minute, Attorney Sanchez, let me let me let me clarify this. So if I was a family friend to a family that was illegal, I couldn't sponsor them. No, there's no, no such thing. No, no such thing. Wow. Okay. So what what is considered sponsoring a family then, or is that just a made up word? No, like, sponsor is the process during the green card. Uh, so basically, so we'll use examples. I always like to use examples. So if uh, if I'm I'm a U.S. citizen and I marry Maria, who's not legal, then I'm called the petitioner. I'm petitioning for Maria. She's the mm-hmm. beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So during that process, I have to show that I'm the petitioner, make enough money to provide for Maria so she does not fall under poverty guidelines. Okay? And I have to show my tax returns, check and all that kind of stuff to show I'll make that money. If I don't make enough money, then I can find a sponsor, somebody else that's not related to Maria, that's willing to sponsor Maria to make sure she does not fall under poverty level because I don't make enough money to provide for her. So that's where the sponsor comes into play to get somebody else to sponsor them financially. They don't have to give them money, but they have to be willing to be there to help them so they don't fall under poverty guideline. And that's a contract between the sponsor and the government that you're telling the government, I'll vouch for Maria if she doesn't, if she goes below poverty guideline. Now it's a contract that's never been enforced by the government. You know, okay, kind of those, okay. It's never As been you enforced. see, my mouth is wide yeah, open because yeah, yeah, I'm going and my eyebrows were thrown back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, but but what's interesting is it's never been enforced by the government. But the same thing, like when I marry Maria and I and I petition for her, me being the petitioner. I also signed that contract with the government saying I'm going to provide for Maria so she doesn't fall under uh, poverty guidelines. And in that contract, it says divorce does not uh, does not terminate my obligation. So if Maria, if I divorce Maria and she can't find a job and she can't be above poverty guidelines, technically she can sue me to make her pay some maintenance to keep her above poverty guidelines. And I've had some cases like that. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, what there's the hell? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. I'm going first, Audrey. I'm going first. <laughs> I don't even have a question. I'm sitting here. My eyebrows still flow back. <laughs> first of all, what? I need to be Maria and find Jose to marry. <laughs> Get in line. Second Get in line. All, <laughs> wow. Second of all, what is this deal about fall under the poverty guideline? Are you saying that Maria can never go under the poverty guideline and apply for any assistance from the government? Are you saying that you're taking on the responsibility to ensure she never depends on the United States government in any kind of way to support her? Is that is that what that's saying? And how long does that contract is enforceable? (laughs) Right, right. So um, it's interesting because, like I said, this rarely ever happens, but I've had a case that happened and I was the the expert on this case. And so what it means is the government. Well, first of all, when you get a green card for the first five years, there's certain government assistance you cannot qualify for for those five years. OK, so in this situation, Maria might not be able to qualify for certain benefits in those five years. That thing, that that thing, that obligation does not terminate until Maria becomes a citizen. Maria dies, 
or Maria works for 10 years under the Social Security Administration. They go yeah. get a bitch kill. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey. yeah. Okay, Audrey, for once, you said it, but I was thinking it. (laughs) Mercy, mercy me. Maria, Maria gonna come up missing. Missing. Now I see why people be missing. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. But but that doesn't happen very often. These are very rare situations. You got to have, the way I had that case was a doctor that made a lot of money, marries a girl from Syria, and then she comes here, and then he cheats on her and marries somebody else and leaves her with a child. So they were only married like three years. So in that situation, I was able, not only did she get child support for the child, she would also get maintenance for her mm-hmm. uh, for until she became a citizen or until she worked 10 hours, I'm 10 years. And that's every year. So that and was, and that was her, I would never find a job. Women, we don't even have alimony laws here until 10 years. Exactly. You know. it's, it's an indirect it, alimony, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. alimony to me. That's how yeah. I hear it. He wow. cheated. I would never find a job. Honey, me either. Honey, <laughs> Let's go back back to the, because that's a whole other issue we can talk about. Yeah, so let's talk about how to become legal. Yeah, yeah. so we talked about family. So if you don't have any of those family ways, then you're pretty much screwed, right? And then there's only other, really other three frequent ones. Number one is called, what's called a VAWA, V-A-W-A. So under the VAWA program that was started by Biden, uh, he created, basically it's a Violence Against Women's Act. And if you're a if you're a spouse of a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, and you've suffered abuse, then you can apply for yourself. Because let's say you know if if Jose marries Maria and Maria is not legal, but Jose never applies for Maria, and he's using that above her head to keep her in control, to, and all this kind of stuff. And there's some kind of abuse, physical, emotional, whatever. Then Maria can file for herself without having the support of Jose. So that's under the VAWA. That's under the uh, Violence Against Women's Act. Uh, one that's similar is called the U visa. This is a newer one. A U visa is when you're a victim of a crime of violence. So let's say I got assaulted or I got robbed or my wife did, then you can apply for a U visa if you're a victim in which you have to show the government that you helped the local DA's office to, to prosecute this individual. And the way they did it, they, the reason they did that is they wanted people that aren't legal to be witnesses, to willing to testify, right. to willing to solve crimes. So they give them an avenue to become legal that way. But the problem with that one is only 10,000 10, visas, U visas per year. So it creates this backlog of like waiting five years for them to look at your case. And so that's something that Congress has been trying to do to hopefully change, to get increase it so it's faster. In those, you can get your, if you're a victim, so... You know, I mentioned during the break that one of the ways that I was interested in becoming a citizen was through military service. I I really think that if you're willing to die for the country, you know, you mentioned that this process to become a citizen can take 15 to 20 years. I'm that person who believes if you give 10 years in the military, you being shot at or serving or whatever capacity that should give you a fast track to citizenship. If you're willing to die for our country, you know, yeah, become a member. Membership should have its privileges and being. Well, you can't be, you can't join the military if you're really And put your life on the line because I'm not willing to do it as a citizen. So they, if you so can't, if, really? You can't, I, I don't know. Yeah, you can't join the military if you're not legal. 
No, but I think there should be a path oh, put there, in yeah, place. Yeah, there should be a law. Yeah, you can change Yeah, it. I think there should be a path put in place so that if you are yeah. illegal, one of the avenues to get citizenship should that. be, yes, I yes, I did know that you could not, could not serve illegally, but right. I think there should be, that should be also one of those extra avenues that sure. if you're willing to go through the service and, and join the service, you know, you could come out with an education and a skill set mm-hmm. that allows you to then be a productive citizen without having to worry about citizenship. Right. Right. You know, so that's one of those things that um, that I think we need to look at as a, as a people. Right. And the, and the last one before we end is just a completed is the political asylum, which you hear a lot about right. on the news. And political asylum is very difficult to get. People think it's easy, but it's not. You have to show that you can't go back to your country because you're going to be killed or prose- prosecuted because of your race, religion, a national origin or sex or political affiliation. It can't be because there's no jobs, because I can't find Mm -hmm. a job, or there's gains. No, it's got to be directly. You can't go back to your country because they're going to find you and they're going to kill you. And so that's why that's a very high burden to to show. Well, it it has to be a high burden because how would they know that Geraci over in, you know, Longview, Texas, doesn't like the government? I mean, that is a threshold that that would be hard to meet. And how how do you prove it? Right. I came here because, you know, they didn't like women over there. Right. Well, you have a lot of the women who um, I hate to use an analogy who cover their face that they start to uncover their face. They start to do different things that's considered disrespectful and that they could be killed or something could happen to them and sent back. So um, when I think of seeking asylum, that's that's where I think of uh, as far as that, because they that is a religious belief and a, re- a religious in uh, a, 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 a deep ritual that takes place within that community. So a lot of cases, on a whole that I've seen part, been, but you're on a whole nother part of the world. That's not typically yeah. what's going on over that, in South that, American that's countries. Right. That's, that's, Attorney Sanchez, you have been a wonderful, wonderful guest for us. I mean, like I said, this is one of those topics that one segment won't do it. Two segments won't do it. Uh-huh. You know, if they if the listening audience gets a chance, we have been running Attorney Sanchez's ads for the last 26 weeks that we've been on the air, um, just advertising what he does. Um, if you get the opportunity Give him a call. He works all around the country. And if he can't help you, he could definitely refer you to someone. If you have questions about your status, feel free to contact um, Attorney Sanchez. Please provide your information really quickly. Yes, uh, there are several ways. First, the easy one is go to my website. It's uh, attorneysanchez.com, attorneysanchez.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Jose Sanchez Law Firm. You can uh, follow us. We put a lot of information on there, or you can call my number, here in uh, Texas, 903-758-8700. Okay. And we want to thank uh, Attorney Sanchez for joining us. We want America to remember. Let's continue to pray. Let's pray for Tiger Woods. We didn't get a chance to bring him up today. Oh, but that is one situation that uh, if if you never seen a miracle, you're looking at one when you're looking at him. The way that they talked, he should not have been alive coming out of that car. And so let's continue to pray for him and his family. Let's pray for all of America. Let's pray that God wrap us in his love and arms and keep all danger and harm away from us. And we thank you for being with us at Double Down with Garrett and Mac. And we'll see you next week while I try to control Audrey Garrett. <laughs> listening 
listening to Double Down with Garrett and Mac. Be sure to join Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack again next Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next week. We'll be right back.